Um, go ahead and open your Bible to 1 Samuel 13 and Acts 13. First Samuel 13, in verse 13, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord have sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord have commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast not kept that which the Lord had which the Lord commanded thee. And so first off, we have, you know, first Saul was king. You know, initially, you know what we have, you know what God had planned for Israel to have a king. But the time was not yet. But Israel begged and begged and begged. God was like, all right, fine. You know what? Here you go. Here's the king. You want a king just like the other nations have? And in a sense, in the beginning, things went well while Saul was little in his own eyes. But when pride crept in, which is the danger of power, okay? You know what? Now, it doesn't mean that leadership is bad. You know, I know there's a quote, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But you know what? Jesus is going to have absolute power, and it's not going to be corrupt. It's going to be just. And you know what? We could have in different ways, whether it's in your work or wherever you have an influence, and being a leader. But be little in your own eyes, and know that you're nothing without God. But we see Saul thought he was big stuff eventually. And God took the kingdom away from him. That he did not obey God as he was supposed to. And his disobedience was doing something religious, but something that God had not commanded. And he was doing something God commanded him not to do. And so God said, you know what? I want a man after mine own heart. A man after mine own heart. In Acts 13, verse 21, it says, And afterward, they, decided, they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, what shall fulfill all my will. And so here we see the Bible revealing in the New Testament, which we already saw in the Old Testament, that God sought for a man after his own heart, and he found it in David. It wasn't in all his other brothers, his other brothers who... People thought of them as, well, great talent, great stature, handsome. And it was none of them. But David, a shepherd boy. Which don't think that's just a little lame, like childish, easy, um, cute thing. 
You know, being a shepherd boy was a challenging task. Okay, you needed to, they needed to protect them from the lions, from the wolves, and and so there was a, uh, from the bears. So there there was a tension that they had um, to take care of and physically get involved. But we see the Bible considers David a man after God's own heart. Now we who know the life of David could definitely realize. Okay, a man after God's own heart did not mean they were perfect. Okay, we all fall short of the glory of God, and David fell short. You know, we see, know of the story of him um, having Uriah put in the front of battle. Why? Because he was hoping he would die, which he did, because David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Now David had sinned. And David ended up suffering consequences because of that. And the sword departed not from his house. We saw his different children end up dying. And we see his own son rose up against him. All these tragedies. And before that, God called him a man after God's own heart. But what's even more interesting is that in the New Testament, that's reiterated when, by then... They already knew of all his sin. It wasn't yet anymore in the future. It was past. And yet God, through the Spirit of God, inspiration, still wrote back, speaking of David, being a man after his own heart. And so it wasn't perfection that made David a man after his own heart. But you look at the desires of David's heart. You see that when he did sin, that, you know, when he sinned, he did not just quote some other one in the past and go, oh, you know, look at God forgave him. You know, you'll see political leaders today, they get caught and they say, well, oh, you know what, yeah, I'm just like David. And, and they try to spiritualize their sin. You know, David did not spiritualize his sin. That he confessed his sin and he realized that he sinned before God. And even though he committed faults to, um, to Uriah, to Bathsheba, he understood that his sin was before Almighty God. And he came to repentance. That, 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 that he turned um, back to God. He confessed his sin and he was broken. And God forgave them. Now there were still the temporal, the earthly sacrifices he had to deal with, the consequences he dealt with. But we see with David's heart, that yes, the heart is de um, desperately wicked, it's deceitful, and, and, but yet in his, spirit, his spiritual heart, in a sense, it had a desire for God. It had a longing for God. You know, that our hearts are restless till they find rest in God. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. Another man speaking about Psalm 63. He said that you can see that the spirit and soul of the whole book of Psalms is summarized in this one song. You know, David was going through a rough time, which really a lot of the Psalms were during hardship. I mean, you're going for a hardship? Maybe write your own Psalm. It won't be inspired scripture, but you know what? Maybe write a poem. 
you know what, maybe, uh, maybe I'll speak to others through struggles um, that they um, are going through. But he'd just been driven from his own throne by his own son. How heartbreaking that would have been. You know, your own son to rise up against you. Turn the army against you. And then now he's in the wilderness. Read this. Psalm 63. He's in the wilderness of Judah. And he says, O oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen in the sanctuary. Because thy love and kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. And my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that swear by him shall glory, but the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. See his spiritual desire. His longing for God. And this true spiritual desire is going to have that desire on the right person. On the right things. They're going to have their priorities in the proper order. And we see that David had a love primary for God. That God was all to him. You know, it's, he... he, he he strived to fulfill Jesus' commandment. That was mentioned him in Exodus. To love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, thy might, um, with all thy mind. David had that kind of heart. And you look at David's life, that there are times where we see that he admires God's creation. That there are times where he praises God for his works. Man, I feel a little bit safer here at their place. Man, if I fall off, I'm falling down like several feet. We see that different times in different psalms, David speaks of God's creation. But here in this psalm, we see, you know, David is not focused on the attributes of God. David is not thinking of, oh, wow, your creation is so wonderful. No, he is, has his eyes all on God. He wasn't pledging his loyalty to some kind of creed, um, statement of faith, or, um, or a church denomination. 
His focus was on God. On God Himself. He wasn't even focused on, he mentioned some of them, but he wasn't focused on God's gifts. On what God could do for him. He wasn't looking at that. He wasn't saying, I'm going to follow God so I could get wealth and prosperity. No, there are times in other Psalms he mentioned that. Why is it? The wicked, they prosper. They gain in wealth. And sometimes God's own people seem like they don't have a lot. They have their needs met. Since I haven't seen the righteous forsaken or begging bread, they have their needs met. But man, the wicked seem to prosper. David didn't have his eyes on what could God get for me. It was on God Himself. It wasn't on some type of religious ritual or sacrament or ordinance. It was on God Himself. Psalm 18.1, he says, I will love Thee, O Lord, my strength. And a true spiritual desire is going to have the right intensity. You know, we could all in here say we love God. But you know what? We may all have a love for them with different intensities. And whatever that intensity is, you know, we ought to try and get that intensity to grow. You know, we're all at different spiritual levels in our spiritual maturity. But we ought to always be growing instead of declining. You know what David said? Early will I seek thee. That God was his priority. That he, he went after him early. And you know, I think you could say that this would be applicable both early in the morning, before anything else, that he sought God. That he desired God's will in his life. And I think it would have also been applicable in early, you know, really before we're in the thick of trouble. Before we're going through the struggles, early, or, or when we're going through the struggle, that we don't think of God and think of prayer last, but we think first, you know, that will help your anxiety level too. If you know what, hey, you're, man, you're, you're in rock bottom, you know what, let's take this to God. You know, and, and, and you know what, you take it to God, you know what, not just to see what you can get out of it, but because you have a relationship with God, and God does say, you know, you have need, ask. You know that many times we receive not because we ask not. You know what? The Jewish culture, you know what? Um, a lot of times their business model was based on building relationships with people. And really today, you know what? Those that successfully build relationships end up being more successful in their business. Because they're not focused on the products, the items, but building relationships with people. And you know what, with David, he desired to build a relationship with his God. And he would earnestly seek God. That early he would seek Him. That he said in the psalm, My soul thirsteth for thee. Not... Lord, I'm thirsting for you just to help me from my problems. Again, it's not wrong to pray those prayers. There's other Psalms where David says, please, Lord, deliver me out of this trouble. Okay? It's just 
have your relationship already early be with God. That you don't just go with God in the time of need. But that He is your God. As I read earlier this morning in Psalm 42, it's the heart pant of after the water brooks. So pant of my soul after thee, O God. You know, you just imagine a heart there um, that's in the desert and it's just needing that water. David is speaking of that. That's how I am panting after thee, O God. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. The desert was where he literally was. It was also a picture of where he was at in his condition. His son having forsaken him. Feeling like he's in the wilderness. He that was king of Israel. Now in the desert. Yeah, all he wanted was God. So God, thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. God was his everything. You know, with rivers, no one likes it when these rivers overflood. You know, here, just before we got here, there was a devastating flood that hit this area. Nobody was going, whoa, we're so happy this flood happened. Oh, we liked rivers. But we want the rivers to stay in the banks. You know what? Our love to fellow man. We need to make sure we don't lift people up on a pedestal where they become our idols. Or things. You know what? Our activities. Where our activities become our idols. Or even church. You know what? Don't let church be your idol. You know, we're here, we're assembling together, it's one body, and we're here to worship the God that we have, our Creator. He's to be our focus. You know, we come, you know, look at how you could edify the body. You know, not just what you could receive, but how you could edify the body and provoke one another, not in anger and the wrath, but in your love and your good works. We you know, with rivers... There's an exception. The Nile River. They consider it a blessing when the Nile River overflows. When the Nile River overcomes, it comes out of its banks and it's flowing and it's flooding, they consider it a blessing for the crops, for the needs. They're in the middle of a desert and they consider it a blessing. You know, with our love for God, it's to be like that. Overflowing. Our relationship with man, our love ought to be guided in banks. And you know, if you're married, you know what? Your love, your special love should be to your wife alone. It should not come out of those boundaries. You know, with our love for God, it ought to overflow to Him. Um, it's denial when it floods over. And it's a blessing to love the Lord our God with all our heart. You know, you look at the Apostle Paul. That he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That he wanted to live for Jesus. That's what mattered to him, that he thirsted for his God. 
And to die, he would be in his presence. And you think about the love of God for us, that we're able to have spiritual life, that we're able to have spiritual light, as we've been talking about in John, that we're able to have a pardon for our sin and to have it be washed away. What great love we have in Jesus, that we're able to have a peace that passes all understanding. And it really is a peace that passes all understanding. The world doesn't get it. They don't understand it. Now, you know, when you go through a situation and it's challenging and you still have a joy about yourself, they don't get it. They don't understand how you do it. I mean, they're so sweet compliments of you and you just point them to Jesus. Just the way Jesus has done. We have access to God. We have heaven waiting for us. What great love we have from Jesus. And as the Bible is very clear on that we love Jesus because He first loved us. If He didn't express His love to us, we wouldn't have thought of loving Him. Our love to Christ ought to be like a fire burning within us. You know, you think about the Son... Is the center and soul of all things. Uh, you, you see the, the sun, the literal sun. That is a lamp. That is it's a light. That it gives us warmth. And you know what? Jesus is our all for the physical and for the eternal. Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel um, 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. That's where I left off a couple of days ago. Now we're going to talk about some hindrances to spiritual passion. Some things that can hinder our passion for Jesus. Now in Ezekiel 36, verse 26, we see here speaking to Israel. um, And he says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you know what? For the believer as well. Now you know what? God's given us a new heart. It's salvation. He's given us new desires to follow Him, to obey Him. But yet there are still times we don't obey Him. There are still times where we allow obstacles to get in our way or hindrances that take away our passion. That puts, instead of it being the Nile River that's overflowing, puts us in the river that is tight in banks. Our love for God. Say we love God, but it's limited. So even though it is our new nature to love Christ, Sometimes things in our life that we allow will reduce our love for Him. And one of them is besetting sins. You know, the Bible talks about laying aside every way and besetting sin, or every sin that besets us that, that, you know what, there's a hindrance to us. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in mine heart, the Lord will not hear me. You know, when we have that sin in our life that we're holding on to, yes, you know, we, we sin every day. You know, even the thought of foolishness, the Bible says, is sin. But you know, there's times where we know there's a sin that we're holding on to. 
There's a sin that we entertain every day or every week. No one else may know it. It could be in our mind. It could um, be what we see with our eyes. It could be what our priorities are in life. It could be anger. It could be bitterness. You know, we're just not letting go of something. And other people may not be able to see it. But when you have that besetting sin that weighs you down, it is going to limit your passion for Christ. You may still be in church, but your passion may not be there. And many people are in church, oftentimes because their passion's not there. They've allowed things to hinder that passion. And sometimes it's to besetting sins. Sometimes it's simply a misplaced love. This could be of loving the world instead of the instead of the Father. As Spurgeon said, the world is a poor heap of ashes when Jesus is altogether lovely to us. It could be loving things that are temporal. The things of our earthly assistance are just temporary. But yet we could get so enamored by the things of what is physically attractive And sometimes we think of it as more attractive than the spiritual. We end up having a misplaced love. Our passion is things instead of the eternal. Instead of Jesus. And just having a misplaced love. You know, God's given us things to enjoy. Okay, You don't need to feel guilty if God's blessed you with something good. If God's blessed you with wealth. You know what? You don't have to feel guilty for it. But man, where's your heart? Is your heart in the wealth? Or is your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ? Misplaced love will hinder our passion for Christ. And we see David, when he committed sin with Bathsheba, that was misplaced love. Misplaced love. It could be, thirdly, distractions. We could simply allow the busyness of life. We could allow the busyness of ministry. Those of you that are maybe heavily involved in the ministry, whatever that may be, that could end up becoming a hindrance if we're not really putting God first. It could be an issue of the wrong priorities. It could be letting the most important thing go and devoting yourself to lesser things. You know, we hear about Martha and um, Mary. That Mary was at the feet of Jesus, communing, spending time with Him. And Martha was busy serving. But you know, Jesus didn't rebuke her for serving. It was that he says she was worried and bothered about so many things. There are so many other things on her mind. Yes, serving was one of them. But there were so many things that were on her mind. And she was bothered by him. She was full of anxiety. And that she forgot him. And then only remembered the things she was doing. She allowed service to override communion. And always, our, you know, our ministries usually go sour when our passion's not there. 
could be teaching a Sunday school class, could be doing this, the Webbers are doing now with um, the children over there. And, you know, if we don't have a close connection with God, we're not going to leave church filling with joy even after serving in the ministry. We ought to be both Martha and Mary in one. We should do much service, but we must have much communion with Jesus. For this, we need great grace. It is easier to serve than you commune. You know, it was easier for me to work on remodeling the building than me just to spend a few hours in prayer. It's easier to serve than you commune. But you know what? You get burnt out when you're not communing. You miss out on the things that matter the most when you're not communing with God. You know, we could yield to distractions such as TV, sports, other time robbers. Things that maybe aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they can control us. They can master us instead of us mastering the use of it. You know, if we allow our children to do sports. This year, though, we say, you know what, we're going to skip baseball. And you know, it could become a master over you. You need to pray for wisdom, discernment, when to do it. You know, in a way, you know, it's been a wonderful time for outreach to reach out to um, the people. And sometimes we forget to. You know, we have all these opportunities to reach people, and we just don't use it. We become forgetful. Another hindrance to our passion could be unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Thinking that life should only bring fun and fulfillment and comfort. The expectation or need for no conflict in our life. But life isn't like this. Conflict happens. Can you know when you're at Bible college? Man, everyone seems passionate. Man, it just seems like everybody loves God. And there's those that don't. But overall, man, people are fired up, they're passionate. They're so excited. My sister-in-law, she's so excited. You know, she's looking forward to being in the ministry in the future. She's already in the ministry at Bible College and at her church there. But man, she's just looking forward to maybe being a pastor's wife one day. And my wife tries to tell her, you know what? Sometimes when you go to Bible College and then you go to a church, your expectations might not be the same. Bible college, when you got a lot of people, they all love God, they're all serving God. And you know what? You see a mega ministry that they have all the parts, but you may go to a small place, small community like us, Napa Vine. You know what? Sometimes you know what? The attendance goes up, goes down, and it may seem like you're just plowing and plowing and plowing. You know, you may have a lady write you a Nasty note. I don't think my wife's gotten a nasty note from a lady here or anything. I've gotten nasty notes before, but I don't think she has. Um, um, she's had nasty comments before, saying she looks too happy, something's wrong with her and stuff. But um, sometimes we could get, they, people get out of bio college and have unrealistic expectations. People always talk about after they're in the ministry, they try to think of what are things that Bible colleagues should not teach me. 
And oftentimes the reality is it can't teach you that. It can't teach you the experience of the struggles. They can tell you, you know what, these are maybe things that may happen, but you don't know them until they happen. And oftentimes, you know what, the unrealistic expectations is not because of what a thriving ministry did to them. It's our own heart, our expectations. Our expectations are on the product, on what we've seen, and not on God Himself. But you know, when you're close with God, no matter what struggle you're going through personally, what struggle the church may be going, or say the growth is lacking, when you're close with God, you're going to have a joy. You're going to be passionate. You're going to be excited to greet people when you're here, to um, edify them. Even if there's not very many people. Because you know what? You're not here just for people. You're here for Christ. And then through your love through Christ, it overshadows. Just think about if we were hidden in a cave having to meet, this would be a big-sized group. Just us, you know, meeting together. You know, if we're in China and some of the places where they're more hostile, or some places they have a little more freedom, some places they don't, or in the Middle East. You know, if you're just with 10 